we all, you all, started coming to church for different reasons, right? For some of you, it's your first Sunday here. Others of you, this is your first time in a church or any church, like, in a really long time. And, and others of you, you have being a part of a church, a regular rhythm of your life. And it's a very significant part of your life. So a special welcome to all of you, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, because God has a next step for you that's unique for you. But it's just kind of hard to know what that next step is, isn't it? Especially if you're just starting. Like, where is this going? And if you come here recently, if you just started a relationship with Jesus, if you just got baptized, you know, you know that God is doing something. But what exactly is he doing? You're like, I put my faith in Jesus. I know the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and empowers me to live an incredible life. But what exactly is the Holy Spirit doing in my life? Well, there's three pretty powerful things that happen when you become a Christian. Number one, you are saved from the penalty of sin. Like, you are free from the penalty of sin, paying for your sin, because Jesus paid for it for you on the cross. You don't have to pay that penalty anymore. The second thing that happens is that you are saved or you are free from the power of sin, meaning the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and he transforms your life so that you can honor God, you can choose to follow Jesus and not give in to the old sinful habits and urges and temptations that we all have. You have the power to overcome sin. You're not held by that anymore. And the third thing that happens is that you are freed or saved from the presence of sin one day. One day you'll be with God forever in heaven, and there will be no sin, there will be no shame, there will be, you will be free from the presence of sin. And so those are pretty cool, right? And we kind of get the first one, you know, Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin, okay? And we kind of get the third one, like one day I'm going to go to heaven. But what in the world is the second one? Right? What does it mean to be saved or free from the power of sin in your life? Because some of you today are like, do you know how hard it was just to get here to church this morning? <laughs> and do you know, like, I have these urges and temptations inside of me right now to do things I don't want to do. I just want to grab my phone and just right now, you know, I have this inside of me. It's like that real. Every moment of life is hard, and, and you might say that, and that's true, right? But it's helpful to get a clear picture of where we're going, of where we're headed in order to get there. So, like, what qualities, what characteristics are God, is God developing in your life? What is your life going to look like as God works in it and transforms your life? Where, where you're going, and you might not be these things today, but with God's help and your continued partnership with him, I believe that this is your future. Like, you have a good outcome in the future if you stay committed to following Jesus 
And if you follow him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, in the future, you will be a different person. Anyone want to be a different person? (laughs) Okay, we got some nodding heads today. There you go. But what exactly does a different person look like? What are the characteristics of the future you? Today we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is a portion of scripture where the Apostle Paul gives Timothy specific qualities and characteristics that apply to a church leader, specifically a bishop and a deacon and a deacon's wife. But I want you to think about these characteristics in what God is developing in your life. Like what are the characteristics of the future you? What are the characteristics of the future? Are you, is anyone excited to meet the future you? Anybody? Yeah? All right, here we go. We got a couple, couple people ready to go, all right? So check out these pictures, all right? Check out these pictures. <clears throat> That's a pretty awesome boat, isn't it? It's a cool boat. And guess what? I think you're pretty awesome right now, you know? You're pretty cool. You're pretty cool. Give yourself a high five, all right? You'd be like, good job, me. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm pretty awesome. But when we get a bigger picture of what God is doing in our life, when we get a clearer vision of where we're heading, it's easier to get there. And this boat is is pretty cool. But when you fill up the whole picture, it gives you a better idea of where you're going. Like your future self will thank you for the investment that you are making in your faith today. And your future self will thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life today. He's got a great plan and a great purpose for your life. And so I got a couple more pictures for you. Look at this one. This is a beautiful rock formation, right? And you are making some serious strides to build your life on the solid rock that is Jesus and the Word of God. And you're building your life on something different. And that's amazing. But when you get the big picture, right, it's like, wow. There is so much more that God wants to do in your life. And the solid foundation that is Jesus is so much stronger than you even know it to be today. And the sure foundation that is the word of God is so much more broad. You know, it applies to so many more areas of your life than you even understand it today. It's a beautiful thing when you build your life on Jesus. One more. Look at this nice looking park. (laughs) Right along the water. And the the greenery, the trees, it reminds me of growth. And you're growing. God is transforming your life. But, right? When you get the full picture, God wants you to see so much more around you. Like, your life is not all about you. There's a 1.5 million people wandering around your life, and God has put you in the middle of all of that for a reason. And so you have to grow, yes, 
and your love for those who are far from God and outside the church should be growing too. And so the qualities and the characteristics that we're going to look at today are the specific qualities and characteristics given to bishops, deacons, and the wives of deacons. And not all of you will have these roles in the church. But some of you will. And just because you won't have these roles doesn't mean that God isn't trying to develop these characteristics and qualities in your life to some degree, okay? So, because for all of us, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus, is working in your life, and he is transforming your life, and there are outcomes, there are things that he produces, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and you can read about those in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, like love. Is your life characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? This list that we're going to look at today is not that list. This list is a list given to leaders of the church, the characteristics of the future you. So if you have your Bible, turn with me, if you're not already there, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read through all of these characteristics, and then I'll go back and explain them. And then I want to talk about how these apply to our specific church. And then I'm going to share some of my personal reflections or thoughts about the qualifications that we read in here that apply to me as your pastor. All right? So Paul starts with the bishop, and here's what he says. Uh, The words will be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud, and the devil will cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. So now he's speaking to a different group of people. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. And if they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. And then, in a different group of people, in the same way, their wives, the deacons' wives, must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon now must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with the respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. The characteristics of the future you. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, about a month ago, maybe two months ago, there was a group of people that got together in my home, and we were discussing the process 
uh, coming up with the process by which we were going to hire our first pastoral staff team member to join me on staff. And so uh, we're having this conversation, and we could have talked about a million different things, right? I mean, it's like wide open. What are we going to talk about? And one of the questions we had to figure out is who the person we're looking for is. Like, what are their qualities? What are their characteristics? And one of the people in that group, like, pulled out. He was prepared, Mr. Jim. He pulled out his piece of paper and kind of went like this. And it was like, um, the Bible tells us the answer to that question, the specific qualities and characteristics that we are to look for in First Timothy chapter 3 and a couple other places. And, you know, sometimes it really is that simple, right? It's like the Bible tells us what to look for, right? So that's where we're starting. And so <clears throat> the Apostle Paul here outlines about 16 or so qualities to look for in a future pastor, elder, or bishop. And he first says that this is an honorable position, that it is good to desire to be in this position, and we must hold this position highly. But again, today, don't just think of this as these are qualifications for a pastor. This doesn't apply to me. I want you to think of it and think of it and say, how much do these qualities reflect in my life? How much... Am I growing, or how, how, how well do these describe me, all right? And so the first thing that Paul says is that his life must be above reproach. And this is sort of like the beginning statement, and all the other qualifications fall under this one, because this one is just like nothing can take hold upon. That's what this means. And so if someone expresses disappointment, if someone expresses disapproval, if someone tries to blame you for something, it just kind of doesn't stick. That's the idea. It's sort of like anybody have like a non-stick cooking pan, you know, one of those that still gets stick stuff stuck on it anyway. <laughs> but you got a non-stick pan for a reason. It just slides right off, you know. You run some water on it and it slides right off. That's what this idea of living above reproach means is when someone blames you for something, it's like... Him? No way. No way. It just kind of slides right off. And so what specifically does that look like? Paul tells us 15 or so other things. We're going to move pretty quickly. But this first one that he starts with actually takes a little bit of explaining to do. Because he says that he must be faithful to his wife. In the Greek, it's literally a one-woman man. And so last week, if you thought that those verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2 were hard... This one also is very hard, because what does that mean? Written 2,000 years ago, what was he saying, a one-woman man? Can, can a pastor be single? Can he be divorced or remarried? Uh, can he have multiple wives? You know, like, these are the questions. Like, what does it mean to have a one-woman man? Can he be a two-woman man, right? Can you, uh, you know, can the, can, how does divorce play into it? All those questions. Um, it is hard, right, to figure out what exactly this means, um, but one of the things that it does indicate is that the position of a bishop, a pastor, and I'll explain that. I'm just going to use all those words interchangeably for now, and I'll explain more about that later. Um, they, it's for a man, and all of the adjectives that we read in this passage of Scripture are masculine adjectives because, you know, Greek has genders for their adjectives. So it's, it's all describing masculine things. 
And so, um, so what does it mean to be a one-woman man? Well, we know what it can't mean because, like, it doesn't mean that you have to be married in order to be a pastor, okay? Because Jesus said he put no stigma on being single and serving the Lord. And Paul even said that it was better even for a single person to serve the Lord. They can serve him more effectively than a married person can. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, what about someone who is married more than one time? Well, there's nothing essentially sinful about remarrying when the marriage bond has been broken. And again, that's 1 Corinthians 7 talks about that a little bit. Um, and then like if Paul was specifying you can't be married to two women, you can only be married to one woman that seems like a rather strange qualification to give a pastor because everybody, every Christian should only be married to one person. So that's, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So the best view that this particular little short phrase um, is probably that a man must be faithful to his wife presently in whatever state it is right now got to be faithful to your wife. Then we got a bunch more to run through here. You got to exercise self-control. Do you have self-control? The word is sober. Are you able to keep your head? Are you there? Are you with it? You know, are, it, are you able to stay, keep your head? Are you able to live wisely? Do you know the value of what you do? And don't cheapen what you do with foolish behavior. Live wisely. Or have a good reputation. Now this word is kind of interesting. It means to have your life in order. And it's actually the same word, again, if you were with us last week, when Paul gave certain uh, commands to women. And he says, women, your clothing, your apparel should be, what was the word? Modest. This is the same word applied to the man. In 1 Timothy 2, 9, that's it applied to women's clothing. Here, it's applied to a man's life. It must be in order. It must be modest was translated in 2, 9, right? He must enjoy having guests in his home, given to hospitality. Literally, in the Greek, it's loving the stranger. And in the first century, it's a big deal when you let people stay in your house. Um, and it's a big deal today when you have people over to your house. Um, an elder should be a person who reaches out to strangers, to everyone, the saved and the unsaved, and makes them feel at home in his house. He must be able to teach, apt to teach, to explain and defend the truth of God. So in order to do that, you must have a knowledge of the scriptures, right? You have to know what it says, and then you have to be ready to teach it. And you have to be, have the ability to communicate it. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul tells us that there's pastor teachers, and they're like one office with two kind of functions. And on this list, this particular one is the only one that is a function of the office of a church leader. Everyone else is a characteristics or a quality. This is like a skill, a, a function, being able to teach. That's what kind of sets this position apart. So you must be able to teach. You must not be a heavy drinker. 
or not enslaved to any substance. You probably, you know, can extend it beyond alcohol to any addictive substance, drugs, anything like gambling, pornography, you know, not, not being enslaved to it, not having your life controlled by it. But what about, I mean, the alcohol question is an interesting one, right? As Paul's saying, like, don't be a heavy drinker, which means don't ever drink any alcohol. I don't, I don't think that's what the Bible's position is on alcohol. Um, because in 1 Timothy 5.23, just a couple chapters later, Paul tells Timothy to drink a little wine as medicine for his stomach. So a little wine, but not a heavy amount of alcohol, right? Don't be violent, don't be violent. You're not looking for a fight. You don't vent your anger or settle disagreements with physical or verbal violence. You're gentle or, or patient. And so like when somebody's criticizing you, you can kind of be patient and listen without reacting. And you can also let others serve, let others go in front of you, ahead of you. You're not quarrelsome, meaning you're a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. That you can disagree with people without being disagreeable. That's hard to do in today's world. You should not love money. Like you're not in it to make easy money. And note, again, it's the love of money, not the possession of money. Because you probably know this. You can have a lot of money. Or you can have a little bit amount of money, and you can still love money. You love money so much, you spend it all the time, and you have none, right? It's about the love, the heart of money. And the opposite of that is your content. Philippians chapter 4, your content. How about manage your family well? Not... Uh, you. You have a godly family. Like if a man's own children, if my own children can't obey and respect me, how in the world will the church do that? Right? If, if we're called to lead and rule and govern and love and care, that has to start in the home before it ever gets into the church. How about not be a new believer? Right? You've got to be tested. You've got to have experience. You've got to give time for study and growth. And there's a warning to this one. It says that if, if you are young and, and you succeed, then you might get proud, and Satan will love that because then it's easier to tear you down. So how old, how, how experienced do you have to be? It's a, it's a judgment call, right? They don't tell us exactly. And lastly, people outside the church must speak well of him. Like, pay your bills, Right? Do you have a good reputation with those that you do business with? It's a good qualification. Those are the qualities, the characteristics of the future you. How do you look? Good? <laughs> it goes on, though. There's some more. For deacon, a deacon must be well-respected. You have dignity. You're worthy of respect. You have integrity. You're not two-faced. You're not saying one thing and living a different way. You're not telling one person something and telling another person something else. You're, you have integrity. 
A deacon must not be a heavy drinker, not overindulging, and certainly not an addict to anything. You must not be dishonest with money, right? Can you manage it well? Can you steward what God has entrusted to you? A deacon should be committed to the faith. Someone who not only knows what they believe, but lives it out. A deacon must be tested and proven over time without reasonable grounds of accusation. So over time, right? Over time, it plays out. How's this person going to be? How's this person going to work out? Over time, you learn these things. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. There's that same phrase again. The same one for bishop is the same one for deacon. And so you have to ask the question then, don't churches, lots of churches, have female deacons? And the answer to that is yes, they do. So, okay, how can a female deacon be a one-woman man, right? Gets confusing sometimes. In the Bible, in Romans chapter 16, there is a woman named Phoebe, and she is called a deacon. It's the same word. And so you could extrapolate it out and say, okay, women can be deacons. But a deacon just simply means to serve. And so Phoebe, I think, was a servant. She was serving in a special way, in a, in a great way. But she was not in the office or the position of a deacon. Because as we saw last week, right, these, these women's roles and men's roles here in First Timothy chapter 2 and 3, I mean, they're, they're sort of there, but it's like trying to figure out what exactly is Paul trying to say in these verses. And so I think that it makes sense that if a female can be a servant in every sense of the word, but the office, the position of a deacon is reserved for a man alone. And then uh, the man must be able to manage his children and his household well. And again, the home is the proving ground, the training ground, before it ever comes out in the church. And then there's the wife of a deacon, and she must be well-respected. Her Christian character is worth imitating. She must not slander other people, not gossiping. Not, she must speak well of others. She must be able to exercise self-control. There's the word sober, able to keep your head and she must be faithful in everything, must be trustworthy. That if somebody tasks, tells you to do something and you agree to do it, that you actually do it, you know, that you are worthy of people's trust. And so there you go. That's all of them. Woo! The characteristics of the future you. Aren't you excited of what God is doing in your life, what he is producing in your life? God is developing these in your life. So here in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Timothy uses the word bishop to describe all of these things. Do you know what a bishop is? We don't have any bishops in this church. So people disagree about what church structure looks like all right so if you visit a different denomination if you go down the street to this other church their church is going to be organized and structured in a different way um, 
But I, and there's, I'm not the only one, there's many people that fall in this view that the word bishop is synonymous with the word elder and pastor when it refers to the office in the New Testament. And there's two reasons why I believe that and people that do believe this believe that, if you know what I mean. And they were, we refer to these two, <clears throat> two passages in Titus and in 1 Peter that interchange these terms. So Titus is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Pastor Titus. And I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete your work there and appoint who? The elders, the presbyteros is the Greek word, in every town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. Similar qualifications for what we just read, right? A church leader, a bishop, that's the word used there, an episkopos, is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. So there's, see, these interchangeable words that are, are used here to describe a similar thing. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see all three words interchange. It says, now... A word to you who are elders, the presbruteros, elders, in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, pastor the church, care for the church, as God has entrusted you, and episkopos it, watch over it, bishop it, willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God, don't lord over it. The people assigned to your care, but lead them with your own good example. So we see these three words that characterize functions of a church leader, all kind of used interchangeably for the one office. And so when you see the word elder, it refers to this spiritual mature person. And the word elder you find in the Old Testament in the Jewish culture. You could look back and see all the Jews in the early church would be like, oh yeah, I get what a church leader is. They're like the elders. We've had elders for thousands of years. I get it. And the Gentiles in the church would say, what's a church leader? Oh, it's a bishop. Oh yeah, those that oversee the organization and lead this and lead that. Oh, I get it. And then the word pastor is all throughout the Bible for those that shepherd people, lead people, care for people. So elder, bishop, pastor is all the same office, different functions of it. And some of us might be more used to using certain words than others. So that's that. And then what's a deacon? Um, we don't know. <laughs> what's a deacon? Um, in Acts chapter 6, deacons are called to serve tables, to serve food so that the elders can give their time to prayer and teaching. But how that is applied and how the elder pastor bishop is applied in various churches is unique and it's different. And I want us, if you remember anything today, I want us to remember that the organization of the church is so dynamic that it can adapt and change based on culture, based on where the church is, based on what the church is facing. Like God has designed it so uniquely that it has survived for 2,000 years. Think about all the changes in the world 
in the last 2,000 years. The Roman Empire was in charge of everything. Where's the Roman Empire today? But where's the church still here? Or anything else in through the, you know, all of the last 2,000 years? There's things that have come and gone, and the church has been able to stay through all those years because God has created it in such a way that it can change, adapt, and morph to accomplish the great purpose that God has given it. And so for us here at Connect Us Church, we are organized and operate sort of like this. And we're going to grow into this organizational chart. And I want to tell you that I made this organizational chart according to my computer records on July 19th, 2019. Okay, So that was around the first time that our first leadership team meeting happened a year and a half before we ever started having weekly services here at Connect Us Church. And so if you see at the top or at the bottom, I like to put it at the bottom, is our leadership team because we are serving humbly everybody else, right? We're not lording over anybody. We are serving everybody else. At the bottom is our leadership team, and it will be made up of elders, pastors, bishops. But there will be other people on that team as well who are not elders, both men and women, husbands and wives, are invited to be a part of the team. And the qualifications to be on the leadership team are similar to the ones that we've looked at today because they mark a maturing Christian. However, it is vital and it has been so helpful and so awesome to live in this reality to have various voices from people on different parts in their spiritual journey, sanctification journey, along the way as part of this team. Because I believe decisions are made best as a team. And you know, the opinions and inputs of everyone on the team is considered. And those people on the team help us think about things that I don't think about, which is important. (laughs) And everyone is uniquely gifted to bring a unique perspective to the team. And so... This structure, this starting with this leadership team, is, I think, a very beautiful thing because in the New Testament, and I could give you a whole bunch of verses, there's some verses that read that the church leaders make decisions. And then there's other verses through, like, the book of Acts and stuff that the people, the church, make decisions. And so sometimes churches lean heavily on the church leaders making decisions, like there's five guys in a room that decide everything. And sometimes churches lean very heavily on the congregation making the decision. So every week you have a ballot and you vote on stuff. And so we see kind of both of those things in the Bible. But I think the leadership team is the best idea that I could come up with, that I believe the Holy Spirit gave me when he gave me the vision for this church, that we're inviting a variety of voices of ages, of spiritual maturity, of church experience, of gender, and all of these things that God uses to bring an important and unique perspective to the church, inviting all of those onto the leadership of the church team, while at the same time reserving the specific role of a pastor or elder for those who are qualified for it, all right? So how do you know if someone is qualified to be a pastor or an elder. Well, you see it play out over time, right? That's what for a deacon. You see it play out 
over time. So when you start a new church, what don't you have? You don't have a lot of things, but you definitely don't have what? (laughs) You don't have time. (laughs) You don't have time. When you just start, you don't have time. So you need time. And those that have gone on before us to start churches and oversee and help, you know, other people start churches, help us start churches, they're like, don't put people in positions that require time to evaluate them. It takes time before you can do that. And so as people are tested and proven over time, this will happen. So we are hiring, we're in the process of hiring our next elder bishop pastor joining me on our pastoral staff team. And this is a big step for us. It's also going to cause a little bit of a shift in our leadership team because now there'll be a team of full-time paid pastors and there'll be volunteers who aren't full-time, who have full-time jobs and other things, a part of our leadership team. And one day, some of these volunteers who aren't full-time in ministry will take on the title of elder. And the roles and the functions of the people on our leadership team will shift and change as the church grows. Like the pastoral staff team will oversee the daily ministry of the church, and the leadership team will take a big view, vision of overseeing everything and making sure the church is headed and keeping on accomplishing the mission that God has given us, and it honors God. And so... um, Where do the deacons? We just read all those qualifications about deacons, and if you've been looking at this chart, there's no deacons on this chart. Where do the deacons go? I told you, honestly, I don't know. I don't know where they go. Um, The Bible doesn't tell us where they go. It tells us that they do anything helpful to serve and take on a serious leadership role in the church. And so some churches, they call the people that meet every month to work on the building deacons i don't i don't see that in the bible but i can envision a time in the future where someone takes on the official title of deacon for a specific time to accomplish a specific thing just like we read in acts chapter 6 so that's a lot and you're like oh, no idea how this applies to me at all i know that's what happens when you preach through the books of the bible but some of you you're taking notes you're like i think god's calling me to this this is important to me absolutely and i think these are characteristics that god is developing in all of us in one degree or another over time and so i thought the best way to end our time together today was to tell you my personal reflections on these since i am the only pastor, elder, bishop, currently at Connect Us Church, I want to tell you how these apply to me. I've taken these qualifications seriously since I started the ministry 10 years ago. can't believe it's been 10 years. 10 years. With the help of others that have gone on before me, right? They've, they've, I've been through a lot of stuff. I've been through a lot of challenges, different scenarios in my short time in ministry, And, like, you don't just plant a church out of thin air, right? Like, you go through a process. You work with people. There's groups of churches, and there's people that invest in your life that have prepared me for this moment. So I want to clearly share with you my heart and my commitment to God, my heart and my commitment about these qualifications, 
my heart for this church and to you all. And I told you last week that it's easier to fight for something when you know that you know that you know that God has called you to this. And I know that I know that I know that God has called me to this, and I'm going to fight for these things with all that I am. So I got nine of them for you, all right? I know that God loves me, that he died to pay the penalty for my sin, that he rose again to give me life and empowers me to live an incredible life. I know that my salvation is secure and that God is working in my life. And I will do everything possible to continue to grow in my knowledge of this amazing mystery and to live it out. I promise to take my calling as pastor and church planter extremely seriously with the utmost gravity and weight. There is nothing more important that I could be doing. (laughs) They say don't plant a church unless you have to. And I had to. And every step of the way thus far has been confirmation that, yes, I am doing what God is calling me to do, and I'd better stay on the right track. Number three, God cares a lot more about who I am than what I do. And I promise to continue to grow and learn and be open and honest about what God is doing in my life. He is refining me and developing me in these qualities that we just studied today. And I want him to continue to make me into the person that he wants me to be, and I will rely on his grace, his forgiveness, and his mercy to experience all of it. I promise to continue to turn your attention to Jesus and do anything I can do to help you grow in your knowledge of the word and challenge you to build your life on the words of God. Jesus is the one who gets all the honor and praise for this church. Jesus is the one who's building his church. Jesus is the one that is transforming your life. Number five, I promise to continue to press into developing authentic relationships. So sometimes I think it would just be easier to preach and go on with church and not get to know you. (laughs) And maybe you think the same way, right? I just want to come, listen to a good message And I don't need to know everything about your life, and let's just move on, right? It would just be easier. You would enjoy it. I'd enjoy it. It'd be great. But if we really are serious about developing authentic relationships, that means we get to know all the good parts about each other and the bad parts about each other. And that means that we have and I have the opportunity to really hurt you bad. And it's in those moments that the greatest transformation comes. So I'm not going to avoid it. We will continue to value having fun because fun authenticates forgiveness, the key component of lasting relationships. And without forgiveness, we will have no church. And without forgiveness, there will be no life transformation. Number six, I promise to continue to do my best to lead the way and model everything that I tell you to do. I don't want to refuse to do anything that I ask you to do. And one aspect of this means leading the way in generosity and giving. So we have our end of the year offering coming up in November, and Alicia and I have already been thinking about ways that we can give as leaders of our church. We will bring our best offering because we're asking you to do the same. And we're not going to ask you to do it if we're not 
willing to do it ourselves. I want to be an example of what it looks like to be generous, to give generously of my time and my talents and my money for other people. I promise to cast a big vision and lead Connect Us Church into the future. I recognize that I am a visionary, and things that I've created three years ago, like that organizational chart, are just starting to come into play. And so I promise to do my best to come on the other side of the mountain, right? So like if there's a vision mountain, I'm all the way over here and everyone's over here, right? You can't even see me. I need to come and do my best to come where you can see me so we can all get across the mountain and into the future together. And I also want to be intentional about developing trusted people around me who are not so far into the future that can help take this big vision and make it applicable to you and your situation today. Two more. I promise, to keep my, uh, I promise to keep kids and family ministries a central element of what we do as a church and what I do individually. Our church needs to continually provide the best discipleship relationships and opportunities to reach new kids in our community and help the kids, a part of our church family, grow as they grow. So in many churches, sometimes, hopefully, I mean, you probably some degree feel it here, but sometimes they would say that they're not the main thing. I'm not in the main service. And when COVID happened, churches had to figure out what they wanted to do, and they held the main worship service, and the kids' stuff sometimes got put on hold. And it was like confirming to the kids' volunteers that, oh, yeah, we weren't that important all along. I want to tell you today that you are extremely important. Our kids' ministry, our kids' ministry volunteers, our parents, our kids, you are the main thing. What you do on a Sunday morning that doesn't happen in this room is just as important, maybe more important than what is happening in this room. I could not imagine gathering as a church and not having our best plan set up for our kids. And lastly, I promise to make your discipleship primary. For those outside the church, I I'm going to continue to pray, care, and share Jesus with my neighbors and invite them to come to church. I want to help them put their faith in Jesus and get baptized. I want to help you grow in your faith and get you connected into small groups. I want to help you discover your gifts and abilities and help you serve here at church and in other places. And I want to help you develop your leadership abilities so that you can replace yourself. And sometimes this will look like ministries that I oversee, like the next steps groups that are taking responsibility for these various things. And sometimes it will look like a very personal investment. Like it will look like regular meetings with me, Bible studies with me, regular phone calls and text messages, but I can't do this for everyone. But replacing myself, raising up other pastoral leaders is one of the most important things that I can be doing in my ministry. I'm thankful for my wife and my family. I'm thankful for the opportunity to pastor you all. I want to honor God with everything that I do, and I want you to do the same. Amen. So let's pray and close our service out. God, thank you that you qualify those you've called to ministry. As we consider these large characteristics and qualities. Uh, God, apart from you, it's impossible. 
Some of us might feel a little overwhelmed this morning that you call us to such a high standard. Does it mean I have to be perfect? No. No, it doesn't. And I think I just pray today for someone here who's feeling like, man, my life just doesn't live up to this at all. God, I pray that they would know that they are loved by you. That you died for them. You gave everything you could possibly give for them. That their sin is forgiven. That their imperfection is forgiven. That their, their desire to, to want to grow and, and, and is going to be honored by you, God. And so when you come and live in their life, when you come and live in my life, God, it's you that develop these things. It's you that create this. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be open to that. That we would give you time to work, to change our minds, to change our hearts, to help us to grow in who we are. And God, I am excited for the future, me. And I pray that everyone here is excited for the future, them. That God, as you work in their life, you are developing something unique, something special, something that totally stands apart from this world. And it's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of what you're doing and who you've called us to be. So Lord, help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.